Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's Reformation Day, and we talked about that a little bit already. It's a, it's a big day in the Lutheran Church. It's a day when we celebrate uh, kind of the events that led up to our identity, who we are as Lutheran Christians. Uh, it's a day when we celebrate our theology. It's also a day when we talk usually about the theologians who are behind that theology. Some of them you probably know. You know, we talk about Luther on Reformation Day a lot. You probably know who he is. Some of you may not. We talk sometimes about Philip Melanchthon, who was kind of Luther's right-hand man, or, or St. Augustine, who, who lived years before the Reformation, but whose theology was used then, and it's used even today as well. Sometimes we talk about modern people, too, people who, who you may or may not know, people like Walther, who's very instrumental in our theology, or Bonhoeffer, who you may know lived during the Second World War. We talk sometimes about people who had an impact on the church, theologians. In fact, the reason that we celebrate Reformation Day on the 31st of October, or the Sunday that comes right before it, is because it's the day that Luther nailed the 95 Theses. And if you don't know what those are, it's 95 propositions for academic and theological debate that he posted on the church door in Wittenberg. So today we think about the theologians that God used to make us who we are. But one question before us this morning is what makes them theologians? If you're like me, when you hear that word, I think of people who, who do things like write books and write articles and write commentaries on Scripture. But Luther actually said something very, very different about what makes somebody a theologian. He said you only need three things to be a theologian, and those are tentatio, oratio, and meditatio. Now, in English, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well, but... Here's what it, what it means. Trials, prayer, and meditation. Now, it, it, he's not a Buddhist, of course, so when he says meditation, uh, what he means is reflection, kind of like what we do during the confession at the beginning of the service, reflecting on ourselves, reflecting on our God, and especially reflecting on his word. And, and we'll get to that. But he says those three things, that's how you're a theologian. In fact, Luther would say to be a Christian is to be a theologian. To be a Christian is to say something about God, and to be a Christian is to go through these three things. That's all I want to walk through them this morning. I want to start with tentatio. That's the first one, trials. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that one way of looking at the Reformation is that it's an event that comes about because of one person's internal struggle, Luther's. You know, he was no stranger to trials. He, of course, had judicial trials where he went before uh, emperors and clergy members and that kind of stuff. But his life was also full of, of a lot of internal trials and internal struggles. And that happened at least on two major occasions in his life. One was before his gospel re revelation, before he figured out this whole true gospel thing that we hold to now. One was when he was still a Catholic. He went through something that he called Anfechtung in German, and nobody really knows exactly how to translate that, but angst is a good way to say it. Struggle, internal trial, temptation even sometimes. It's the tough times. It's the difficult times as a Christian. And in his early life, he went through those because he didn't understand the grace of God, pure and simple. Luther was completely convinced that God was just looking for a reason to condemn him, looking for any excuse he could find to send Luther to hell. And, and so when he looked at himself, he saw all kinds of reasons. He looked inside himself, he saw nothing but sin. And as a result, God was terrifying. 
I read a little bit of a biography by a guy named Eric Metaxas, uh, biography of Luther, this morning. And this is what he says. He says, Luther was tortured by negative thoughts about his own worthiness before God. That's one way for a Christian to feel tentatio, when we, conf- when we uh, question our own worth, our own value. When we look inside of ourselves and we don't like what we see, because what we see doesn't look very worthy of love or mercy or forgiveness or grace. And that was one time Luther went through that Anfechtung stuff. The other time happened in 1527. And there may have been other times in his life, but these were two very big ones. This time, it didn't start off as self-reflection. It started off because stuff was happening in his life. And one of the things that was happening was he started to have health problems. He had a couple spells of dizziness. In fact, he had them a lot, but he had a couple times where it happened in the pulpit. He started to have tightness in his chest. He started to have you know, things happening to his body. And in fact, that happened a lot at the time because in 1527, the bubonic plague came back to, to Wittenberg, the Black Plague. It was a tough time, including all that stuff. Some of his very close friends, a guy named George Winkler and a guy named Leo Kaiser, they were martyred for following Luther's teachings. During the plague, people moved into Luther's house to be cared for, including some of his very close friends. Johannes Bugenhagen was a close friend and his spiritual advisors, kind of like Luther's pastor, and Bugenhagen's family came in too. Luther's house was basically a hospital at this point. There were people all over who were sick and who needed care. And during this time, Bugenhagen's sister, Luther's friend, she, died, uh, she was pregnant when she moved in, and she contracted the plague. And her child was stillborn. And she died very soon thereafter. With everything that was going on around Luther at that time, it shouldn't surprise us that he entered into one of these times of anfechtung. In fact, he describes it very much as we would probably describe today, a a very serious bout of depression and anxiety. He sent a letter to Melanchthon, and this is what he described about what was happening to him. He said his strength had completely left him. He said his limbs would just tremble during the day. And he said he felt utterly and absolutely alone. And guys, this is Luther that we're talking about. This is the guy that we look up to and we've looked up to for 500 years. Christians are not immune to these things, is the point. Christians are not immune to angst. Christians are not immune to depression. Christians are not immune to being anxious, especially when it seems like the world around them is absolutely collapsing. See, tentatio, trial, suffering, they are part of living in a broken world. They're part of living here on earth, whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, everybody faces these questions of of worth and of value and of meaning, questions about whether or not we're loved, questions that sneak into our lives from all kinds of places. In fact, a poll that was taken this year said that 29% of people reported that they'd been diagnosed at some point with depression in their lives. And 17% of people said that they were being treated for it right in the middle of when they were being asked, right in the middle of polling. By way of comparison, by the way, those numbers in 2015 were very different. It was 17%, or, sorry, 19% and 10% respectively. That's a massive jump in only eight years. It's huge. 
That means more than one in four people who are sitting here in this room have battled depression at some point in their life, and one in six of us is battling it right now as we sit here, as we speak. That's a huge number. So the question is, how do you fight it? Now, two things here. One thing is this. Luther, I think, would have been very happy to recommend the the normal stuff that we recommend in the world, the mental health resources and that kind of thing, because he was big on God working through people who had what we call, uh, what what sometimes are called unspiritual jobs, you know, doctors, nurses, lawyers, and in this case, counselors and psychiatrists and that kind of stuff. Those are good things. In fact, we can even say, Luther called them masks of God. We can even say they are God-given things. Those resources are important, and I don't want to pass them by. But this is a sermon, we're talking about spiritual stuff, and Luther knew very well what we also know, that this is not just a mental battle, it's not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle that's being fought in his life and sometimes in ours too. And so how do you fight that fight? Well, you fight it by being a, being a theologian. You fight it the way that Leo Kaiser fought it. Remember Kaiser? I mentioned his name earlier. He's one of those guys that got martyred because of following Luther's teachings. He was Luther's friend, and he was killed. And as he was being killed, it was reported that he said this three times. Jesus, I am yours. Save me. That's part of being a theologian. Oratio. Prayer. And see, that's something that God invites us to all the time. Prayer. It is the most available tool that we have also, by the way, in the middle of, of trials. When, when Kaiser was being burned at the stake, he couldn't pull out his Bible, but prayer was as close to him as his breath was. And so when you're anxious and you're nervous and you're depressed and you're grieving, prayer is always there. And remember, Jesus does this too. This is from the Gospel of Luke. It's when Jesus is in Gethsemane. And being in agony, Jesus prayed even more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In the middle of crushing anxiety, Jesus prays. And that means two things. First, it shows us what we're supposed to do. In fact, Paul puts this very well. He says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And second, it means this. If you ever thought that there's nobody who understands, if there's, you've ever thought there's nobody who gets what you're going through, the one that you pray for has been there. He's been through it. He was through it in Gethsemane. He was through it on the cross, and he was through it for you. He's been there. He knows what tentatio is. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be in pain. He knows what it's like to be desperate, and he invites us to pray. See, Jesus promises us ultimate victory one day over all the things that afflict us, all the pain and suffering that we go through in our life. But in the meantime, he also promises to sit in those dark places with us. In fact, you already said that this morning, twice. Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And whether that means in Wittenberg during the bubonic plague or in your own home in the middle of a sleepless night, He's there, and he invites us to talk to him. He invites us to oratio. He invites us to prayer. And then there's meditatio, meditation on God and his word, or reflection, if you like that word better. Luther did this all the time. 
reflection on God's word. When he felt anxious, when he felt depressed, when he felt grieved, when he felt abandoned, what he did was he meditated on Scripture. He did this all the time, and he especially did it in the Psalms. During that terrible year in Wittenberg, he did exactly that. When his friends were dying, when his town was empty, when his house was full of sickness and disease and death, and his own body seemed to be falling apart on him, he must have turned his attention that year to the psalm that we went to, Psalm 46. And here's why. This is Eric Metaxas again. It is believed, quote, it is believed that the twin agonies of Kaiser's martyrdom and the death at the Black Cloister of Bugenhagen's sister along with her child were what led Luther to compose the hymn for which he is most famous. A mighty fortress is our God. It's not just the battle cry of the Reformation. It's also the desperate cry of somebody who looks around himself and sees nothing but sin and suffering and death and dying, but who also knows that the Lord of hosts is with him and the God of Jacob is his fortress. See, meditation on God's word makes you a theologian because through that, the Holy Spirit helps you to see the world theologically. Through the word, the Holy Spirit leads you back to the grace of God. Prayer is where we speak to God, but God's word is where he speaks to us. And and, and the trials that we go through, you know, they're part of living in a sinful world, and they're not good. They're painful and they're awful and, and, you know, they're not God's will for his creation. It's not what God intended his creation to be like. But it's also true that there is no better place to learn about the grace of God. See, in his affliction with his own sin, God led Luther to rediscover the true gospel, that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And through his affliction with death and dying and sickness and suffering, God led Luther towards the, through the words of Psalm 46 and to write a hymn that has echoed through churches for nearly 500 years. Even the Catholics sing it now. Did you know that? It's in the hymnal. This is the point. Suffering is awful. And don't, don't misunderstand me on that, please. Suffering is awful, but there is no better place to learn about the grace of God. There is no better place to learn how much the gospel actually matters. There is no better place for your faith to make a difference in your life and the life of those around you. There is no better place to become a theologian because that's where you get why it matters, that you have a God who is with you in your suffering, that you have a God who understands because he's been there, that you have a God who is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in trouble. You have a God who tells you in his word that he is not far away, even if the entire earth falls apart. You have a God who promises you that he's going to lead you out of dark shadows and into green pastures. In your trials, comfort is there because the Lord of hosts is with you and the God of Jacob is your mighty fortress. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus. Amen.